Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. Welcome to the latest episode of the Mental Health Podcast on Phoenix FM. I'm Graham Stannard and thank you for joining me once again. It looks like there has been another slight delay in the availability of this episode, but thank you for staying with us. As I've discussed in the previous episodes, the idea is that they will be once a month, and accordingly this episode was due in November. But uh, again, circumstance has been against me slightly, and I've been delayed once again, particularly on the technical side. Like Darren Allen last month, one of the guests I was looking forward to speaking with since restarting this podcast was Christy O.G., who has a lot of knowledge and background in many of the topics I want to share here. We managed to meet up in the car park of a services off the A12 of all places, and we both really enjoyed how it went, but because of the nature and condition of my laptop and my concern about the power situation, I wasn't able to save the recording before it cut out. But uh, fortunately, we were able to meet shortly after and uh, have a successful recording. I was initially slightly worried that the energy and momentum might not have been the same, but I think we covered a lot of what I wanted to share. In fact, we recorded so much that I've decided to split it into two parts, with a second part completed during the next episode, which I'll be able to share perhaps before the end of the month, which also provides the benefit of bringing the episodes back in line of being monthly. I'm already looking forward to more of the uh, upcoming episodes and guests, such as those helping with issues with personal development and how we treat ourselves, particularly with regards to the words we use when we talk to ourselves. Actually, this also brought the idea of beginning the show with a quote or affirmation. In this case, a really helpful one by personal development coach Joseph Rodriguez, who I'm looking forward to possibly speaking with soon. He has a YouTube channel which provides study notes on some of the more famous and helpful self-help and mental healing works and books. Here's a quote from his video on a book I'm finding very useful at the moment. What to say when you talk to yourself by Shad Helmstetter. It provides wonderful advice on reprogramming the negative self-talk we can often have running in our minds. This has been a bit of a problem for me, uh, particularly with regard to regrets. In this example, he gives an idea of what to say to yourself if you'd like to go up to speak to someone you're attracted to, maybe in a public place. You may feel that they're not good enough for you, or afraid of the rejection, or also being embarrassed by others seeing you fail. He provides this powerful alternative from what he learned from the book. I am very engaging, and I enjoy connecting with people. And those that see me connecting with people enjoy the confidence that I present, and thus they are inspired to want to do the same. Yeah, just see how that shifts things around a little bit, and even shifts the energy. I bet you'd notice if you tried it. Now it's time for the Phoenix FM disclaimer. Uh, We use our own living experience of mental health conditions to help others. We're not mental health professionals, and our view is from a different perspective to the professionals. If you feel unwell, uh, we strongly advise you to seek professional help and advice, either from a GP or, if it's an emergency, at accident and emergency. Though our guests are often mental health professionals, and they provide information and advice from their experience and knowledge, Also, they may provide examples of the services they provide. As always, you can find their contact information on the Mental Health Matters page on the Phoenix FM website. Now, though, I thought I'd start the show with one of the songs I wanted to share. While I was going through some of my old interviews with my musical guests on my musical meandering show and uh, posting them up onto YouTube, I came across, once again, my conversation with Melodian 
a wonderful singer-songwriter from Northern Ireland, and uh, his songs are so beautiful and heartfelt. And uh, particularly this song, I thought it'd be kind of appropriate to uh, some of the uh, resonance with what I was uh, sharing and experiencing recently. This is a song from his 2012 album, The Deer's Cry, and uh, this song in particular was a BBC Live recording. And I found this very resonant, especially with uh, what I just uh, spoke about with regard to our self-talk and regrets. Here's a beautiful song called Often Wonder. Often wonder, ooh, I 
Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. Yes, yeah, see what I mean? That's a beautiful song. Melodian, Often Wonder. A live recording, but a song featured on his 2012 Deer's Cry album. As always, I'll be uh, posting where you can uh, purchase that song on the Mental Health Matters show page on the Phoenix FM website. Actually, speaking of music, that brings me on to a bit of mental health news. Uh, it'd be good to share on this episode um, because there's been this great service which has been launched to help musicians, artists, and even people like such as crew and uh, who work with live production with music and their mental health problems. Here's a, an article shared in the Stage magazine. Uh, they say, money worries, poor working conditions, and bullying are among the leading contributors to mental health problems in musicians, including those working in theatre, new research has claimed. Published by charity Help Musicians UK, the report brings together the final findings from a landmark study on mental health within the music industry, exploring how working conditions can impact individuals' well-being. The research is driven by 26 in-depth interviews with musicians working in various genres, including opera, dance, and musical theatre. The individuals were drawn from more than 2,000 respondents to the first part of the Can Music Make You Sick? research, the largest academic study into music and mental health. Previous research showed that more than 70% of musicians have experienced anxiety and panic attacks. The precariousness and insecurity of a career in music can be psychologically damaging, the new report claims, resulting in many experiencing constant stress around finding work and being financially stable. It also highlights the working conditions of musicians, claiming that because many are self-employed, their work can result in feelings of isolation when dealing with mental health problems. Relationships with family, friends and partners can also be put under pressure, while the report also states that bullying, discrimination and abuse are present within the profession. Musician Kate Richardson, who has worked as a composer and musical director in theatre, said the stress and anxiety around things such as financial worries and not being paid fairly add to the unpredictable nature of the profession. She added that people are often scared to speak out about their experiences for fears of losing work. She says there's this oppressive thing where people do have a lot of power over you, because there are 100 other people who want your job. As a result of the report, Help Musicians UK has made three policy recommendations to help musicians address factors that could be detrimental to their mental health. First of all, to embed discussion of mental health awareness in music education and promote wider understanding within the industry. Uh, secondly, to create a code of best practice to demonstrate an organization's awareness of mental health, of mental health issues in the industry. And thirdly, to ensure that mental health support services for the music community are affordable and accessible. The charity has also promised to put together a task force tackling mental health issues and advocate change. Earlier this year, it announced a 24-7 mental health service for musicians, which will be launched in December. Christine Brown, director of Eternal Affairs at Help Musicians UK, said the study was important and game-changing adding that she hoped the charity's work would ensure that those working in the industry would never have to suffer in silence. The report is written by researchers Sally Gross and George Musgrave from the University of Westminster and published by Music Tank. Gross and Musgrave said the research was a crucial step forward 
in our understanding of the complex relationship between the working conditions of musicians and mental health conditions. I'll be publishing the link to Help Musicians UK once again on the Mental Health Matters show page. Speaking of musicians and mental health, during one of my conversations with a, an artist and band that I play on my Musical Meanderings show on Phoenix FM, is a doom metal band called Oak. And uh, one of the moments that I spoke with Andy, the singer from Oak, uh, was uh, we're discussing some of the issues that men have with uh, mental health and uh, feelings of you know problems in society, uh, problems with our relationship with uh, women and uh, you know the differences between the masculine and feminine and how we can feel as by being a man and being masculine in the world. And so I thought I'd uh, share that as the first conversation here on this episode of Mental Health Matters. So what a beautiful day this has turned out to be. I'm with uh, Andy Valiant of Oak here in Camden and we're having a drink and we're just having a beautiful conversation. And something came up that we're talking about. I'm looking forward to speaking to them soon anyway uh, to see how they're doing for the radio. But also a topic has come up which is relevant to the Mental Health Matters podcast, which I'm recording for the Phoenix FM. And uh, we're discussing just life in general, but something that struck a chord for both of us in terms of how men are, how there's an issue with masculinity. There's a bit of a division between men and women at the moment. And there's been issues I've been feeling in terms of expressing, connecting with the feminine and just by our discussion here at the moment there's something that I just felt of uh, grabbing the moment and having a conversation about and continuing what we're talking about with this blockage that the masculine is feeling at the moment with then expressing and then the frustration that can come from that and then uh, a connection to uh, the levels of suicide that are happening with men at the moment Um, so is that kind of yeah strikes a chord a little bit. I kind of uh, broke off the conversation to set this up, but uh, yeah, good to speak to be speaking to you anyway, Andy, and just uh, hearing about that perspective you were talking about. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, suicide, really, uh, mental health with men, and it's interesting um, that a lot of sort of mental health issues with men seem to be almost swept under the carpet, even though there seems to be more of that than uh, anything else currently to do with mental health it seems to be a lot of lot of men who are shutting themselves off from society not even dating anymore and there seems to be a massive porn addiction uh, obviously porn is so like accessible to so many people now that it's almost become if you approach a woman and you fail your rejection just sends you back home to to pornography also if uh, from the speaking from my perspective or you know perhaps experience in the past is that there's a an anticipation of the fear whereas in the past there was that fear you had to step up and get yeah, through yeah, yeah, yeah. to connect with someone yeah. but almost like yeah. it's, a, it's almost like an anticipation or yeah. an expectation it's not going to work somehow that's absolutely right and i think the knockbacks that you get trying to approach women in the past were just part and parcel whereas now it seems to stick in in a man's mind stick in his masculinity yeah. and he doesn't seem to know to stand up against it and then try again he seems to get knocked down at the first hurdle and then walk away and I wonder whether that is uh, across the board in everything he does now he can't take a knock yeah. and then stand up again and I wonder whether that is to do with his confidence and his confidence has been knocked from an early age yeah. from his childhood whether he is with a single parent and his mother talks about his father in a bad light yeah. right from from, or from experience birth. with a father perhaps that is not stepping up as a yes, father in he's that not moment. present yeah. he doesn't stand up uh, for the family he isn't the rock 
And yeah. I think that's a very good point in that is I think a man should be a rock. And I think if they look at it like this, the masculine is the rock. The feminine is the wind that goes around the rock. Yeah. Or the masculine is the, uh, there's a beautiful expression, David Data says that uh, the masculine is the uh, ship, the big ship that rides across the feminine ocean of the waves which can you know be, be, be a bit swell and rise and yes, uh, exactly in my own experience I've, I've suffered massively with depression and anxiety over the last probably 10 years um and i and i wonder whether that is i went i went to university i never felt involved in too many things i i, I never felt listened to like we'd, we'd have contextual studies and it would be i don't know almost 65 70 percent girls uh, 30% boys and and the way that the men survived was literally become feminine right. and I never did and I would always say how I felt and I used to say as a masculine perspective and literally watch the girls either look terrified or want to have a fight with me about it because I said something that was masculine is in the sense that like I said well from a man's perspective I'd want to fix up or kill it yeah. and the problem is right when you say things like that in out day society it's seen as a threat now i'm going to go on to say this and, and whether this gets me into trouble or not is i don't mind machoism i like horse play well that's uh, something you know that, that used to be happening that men used to be uh, do or uh yeah something that was a bit more prevalent. yeah I, I i grew up playing rugby and it was a very boisterous environment and uh it was it literally was strongest survive yeah. and i'm i don't i don't blame any of it i loved it the only time I ever started to feel lack of confidence in life was, was when I started to get to college and uni- university especially when that masculinity was taken away from me. And I had no, I had no way of sort of being banterful. Yeah. Because every time I was banterful, I was offensive. And I don't believe in being offensive. That's your deal. Yeah, but also there's a space, I think, that needs to be for both because I think there's been a, there was a swing back towards a space where things were acceptable to the feminine, which I think in, in some areas was needed because if you think about how things were too far the other way, perhaps in the 70s and 80s yeah, yeah, and a lot of uh, yeah, yeah. heavy discrimination, but then what's happened is that, yeah, as you say, there are spaces where it's unacceptable to uh, allow uh, a masculine... If, if we want to raise the standard of, of civilization, we want to make people equal, we need to make people equal. It doesn't need to constantly have this seesaw yeah. of where it's okay for a woman to say whatever the offer she wants to a man and do whatever she wants to do. And we're just supposed to take it, just like the girls did in the 50s. Right. I don't want to see that happen to women. I love women. They're, yeah. they're, women are very important in my life. And so should men be very important in my life. Yeah. So to have it swing back the other way is sickening. And it upsets well, or, or me. Sick, or at least uh, swinging back so... Equality doesn't mean it's not actually literal equality. Yeah, well, raise the standard both both ways. Exactly. You, if women want to feel tougher and they want to go and get careers, that's great. But then we should all go together. Yeah. I don't believe in this evening out process where we have to suddenly men have to suddenly bow down to women to, to make it even. So I don't, basically, so some of this frustration just to come back to yes. what we're talking about with the uh, and also the men feeling frustrated. So yeah. th- this is something that's being felt at a you know, from a young age, so it's like kind of young men from late teenage years into the twenties, and so you can really feel the frustration. And yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is that that suicide rate. Yeah, I think there's a frustration in the fact that we don't feel very represented. I don't, I don't think men feel very represented, and I think when you try to bring up the subject, you're slammed by saying, "Of course, you're represented." The, most of the politicians are like men. And, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah, but 
I don't think the average man who goes to work every day, who maybe looks after his family, and I hope he does, yeah. looks after his family, you know, how does he feel when he's constantly told that he doesn't fulfill his duties? Yeah. And I mean, how would any woman out there feel who was a mother if I said, well, most women don't have to look after their children? Oh, how well, would they yeah. feel? This comes back to a bit of what I was talking about before as well, is that part of the, this division comes from this almost like a, a, a force from society that's imposed on us is actually denigrating the mother a little bit. The role of mothers being played down a bit too much. It's almost like there's a women oh, yeah. are being felt to feel they're not good enough yeah, if they're yeah. just being a mother. Exactly. I mean, I think a lot of women now, uh, they, they see having children as, as a sort of end to their career. And I think Whereas actually it's the most important job. Well, it is the most important job because if you want to carry on a society where you've got children that, that, that don't feel there's any direction in life, they might turn into crime, they might turn into, turn into drugs, or they might just be spoilt brats because yeah. all they're given is money instead of love. Yeah. If you want to live in that society, go, go on. Go on and live like that. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live where there's love and there's community and there's people that actually look after each other regardless of money. Yeah. They actually have a human interaction with one another. And the role of mother and family is bringing on love to the next generation and bringing in and teaching love exactly. to the children that are coming through. I mean, I suppose that the, the problem is with the suicide thing is I think it's, I think it's wrapped up in purpose as well. I think a lot of men feel that their purpose is redundant now. And maybe this is also to do with physical work being taken out of the workplace. Yeah. Uh, in the sense that in the, even in the 50s there was a lot more jobs where it, it literally were catered for men yeah. you would have to do that job and, I, and I've said this uh, to, to people before and they've said that's not true and it is true there are jobs that have been jobs that I have gone for and I'm quite a strong man yeah. and they've said no you can't do that job you're not strong enough you're not 6 foot 5 you're not going to be able to get that the cable into the ceiling and you're not 18 stone yeah. that's not discrimination yeah. that's basically not being physically big enough for the job and yeah. I think there's a lot of those jobs that are being taken out of society because of machinery so men aren't feeling there's a general weirdness happening in jobs anyway because of automation and I think that's partly another thing that society has to deal with not just because of the difference between masculine and feminine but in just in terms of automation the coming you know AI age a little yeah, bit being, we're being kind of like humans are being kind of like seconded to robots <laughs> because we're not efficient enough let's, let's yeah. be honest about that so I think there is also that kind of thing about... Yeah, like it comes back to the role that you're talking about, is yeah. that yeah, where it was a bit more defined and clear, what, like as men come through their teenage years into their 20s, I think part of it, it does come down, down to the economy as well and how things are in terms of a future that we can have. When you start removing the possibility of us being, you know, settling down together as a family, but then also how are we going to sustain ourselves yeah. and uh, continue... I think that makes things a bit tricky. It goes into the sort of like, you know, we are just literally individuals that, that are born in pods. We don't procreate. Yeah. We probably fuck each other because we have contraception or we just watch porn. We eat food that doesn't sustain us. Well, that's a very, uh, you can see something of that coming because, uh, you know, they're talking about, you know, producing people without procreation and that kind of thing which is all uh, a bit so uh, scary so this is where you know you have to be a little I'm, I'm still trying to be optimistic and say no we're going to be, be well, there mean, people I'm, enough people I mean, yeah. the fact that we're talking about this now I'm, I'm always optimistic with this yeah. stuff because I always believe that behind all the media behind all the lies behind all the people that are trying to say that that, that men are redundant now and we don't need it at the end of the day there's still the law of attraction yeah. and I do believe that a lot of men are actually standing up because it has it's responsibility of men actually yeah. I have to say this a lot of men are actually standing up we a lot of men are actually standing up <laughs>
<laughs> that still raises a laugh, fantastic. So I think a lot of men are actually standing up now and just going like, you know, I love, I love being masculine. As you, as you hear my band, my band is, the whole thing is about yeah. being a man. We're because talking I, about, that brings us back to the, yeah, the style of music a little bit. It kind of brings us back to the music side of it a little bit. But that space and energy of the music is a space where you can be masculine and uh, let it go. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And, and it, I think it's a celebration. I think it's a, I don't like using the term safe spaces and things yeah. like that, but I know why, why people do, where, where people can actually be them be perhaps not be themselves but be a part of themselves yeah. that they're not allowed to do in society in general because of what is uh, culturally acceptable at the moment I love being on the stage shirt out pumping my chest yeah. it's very primordial and I love it and it can it connects with me it's none of it's fake it's all there for real because that's I'm connecting with something that is inside of me you know? yeah so I guess a good thing to try and think about a link with society or give optimism so it's, but it's all about finding a solution to what can be causing this what it, what's um, causing men to get to, to this point because I've felt it in the past as well that real frustration in what's going to happen will I find that connection I want that's going to make me happy uh, you know we've, we've brushed that a little bit as well in terms of you feeling that there's something there that maybe you don't want or you're looking for something that's that you're not going to you're after that that you don't get as well so that's that crazy division in society but you know coming back to feeling like you can be yourself and be masculine I think is to make it cool for men to be like that and, and to uh, reassure them that yeah they, there is a space for them to be there they can survive and sustain and will have a family so somehow I think that needs to be something that needs to be spread and the information given out yeah. it needs to be encouraged I mean I work for a company where we there's a lot of heavy lifting that goes on and some of the younger lads will shy from the heavy lifting and, and when I grew up if you shied from heavy lifting, you're going to get them taken out yeah, of you. Yeah. And I, and some people say, oh, that's kind of, that's not fair on if they couldn't take it and stuff. No, no, that is a standard. And, and I know that a lot of people seem to think that that's macho or whatever. No, that's a standard. Yeah. You, you've got to carry six boxes from one side to the other and you've got to do it. And you ain't going to moan yeah. and you're going to sweat yeah. and it might hurt, yeah. but you don't moan. Yeah. You never moan. Yeah. And... Um, I think that's that's a good thing. That's a good attitude to have. That's something that's got us. That's what's got things as they are now. Exactly. Been, there has been no moaning. There's been people that have travelled to the moon <laughs> and back, and that is because they've they haven't moaned. Yeah. They've got on with it. They've got up early. They've they've trained for it. And I think that there is a sense of and it may be some of the younger people. And I don't know whether this is for everyone or not. But as soon as they moan, they can quit. Yeah. And then they can find another way to get what they want. Yeah. That's not good enough. Yeah. Well, I just think it's to do with expression. And I think if, if you're not feeling that you can express yourself as a man, and I don't mean beating your chest and shaking a tree. Yeah. Um, I just feel like a lot of men feel that if they say how they feel, that they might be pocketed into... Yeah, that's a funny dichotomy because one thing that's being encouraged and brought out is that and part of the, the feminization I guess of society is that for men to be able to express how they feel but as long as it's not a really that strong masculine really kind of power it's um, feminization though because I don't see this society as, um, as very caring at the minute in, in the sense that I don't see it as very kind of like a feminine society is in the sense that like the welfare state or whatever yeah. I don't believe that that is actually happening I, I think there's um, I think basically just masculinity is being taken away 
I don't think femininity is taking over. I just think masculinity okay, is being I taken see, over. I, I see what you mean. So now, now we have this very dry, almost dead society of just work, no matter what you oh, are. Yeah. And that's partly why things are very difficult. So that in a family, both part, you know, parents have to work and yeah. uh, it's dry, literally, yeah, yeah. survive, keep going. I mean, when, when I grew up, um, my mum wasn't like at home a lot because she had to work and so did my dad. And I wonder whether that had a lot to do with my confidence as a young man because... Like, when I came home, there wasn't someone who was there to see me and my brother, so we had to kind of look after ourselves. So it was it was very male, actually, yeah. because it was literally me, my uh, brother, and then my dad would come home because my mum was a nurse. Mm. God bless her, she worked all, all hours. And so it was very male all the time. Um, but in that sense, there wasn't the confidence because there wasn't sometimes the, the motherly... It was very point scoring. Yeah. Trying to impress side. trying to impress dad. Yeah. You know, rather than mum being there to feed us and to, to you know, listen to us and yeah. um, tell us how well we're doing. It was point scoring. So in some cases it's almost like the you can see that what you're talking about. So there's that it's not just um, how men aren't comfortable to express masculinity is that there was a lack of support, not just for men, but for everyone in society, of the feminine, that mother... What we're talking about near the start, of that the mother role has been removed a little bit from society, which is that character you're just talking about, that support, the reassurance... It's seen as as weak. And it isn't weak. It's It's the most important job anyone will ever do. That's like what we're saying, yeah. So it's almost like, you know, and and women, obviously, that's their natural role. And they're not seen as good enough if they, yeah. if they just do that. But that's actually what men, that's what everybody wants to happen. I think the, the back to the suicide thing and the, the mental health, I mean, I think it is all just about being men feeling underrepresented. Yeah. And I, I underrepresented or the ones that are represented are so elite, yeah. so, so perfect. They're just this kind of like sports star, gladiatorial, unique figure that just like ticks well not unique at all just ticks all the boxes and so yeah and, and they're that, at that level not just like physically or athletics like you're talking about but also in like business which then can give this uh what I call the, the sort of destruction system side of it, yeah. the, the hammer to uh, say, oh, there's a patriarchy. Yes. And yeah, so, exactly. uh, and they, you, they, they kind of beat society or divide yeah. society, like saying that the patriarchy, right. so women need, women need to feel resentful yeah. because of men, the, because of the that. The average Joe just goes to work every day and just wants to, wants to have a chat with a girl every yeah. now and then because he's attracted to them, because let's face it, they're beautiful, yeah. feels that he's been pigeonholed into something that he's not. <laughs> and so then his confidence dies. Yeah. He gets his balls cut off because he can't say how he feels. Feels, and then he internalizes everything. And let me tell you something about depression and anxiety, because I've suffered from it. The day that you can't express how you feel, you go inward. And when you go inward, you start rotting from the inside out. Yeah. And that's when you end up depression and anxiety. And that's when you end up on antidepressants. And those things, that just carries it on, because yeah. I've been there as well. And yeah. that's why you get male suicide.
Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. You just heard Mirage by Oak from their Oak 2 album of 2016. After a conversation I was able to record with Andy, the singer, while meeting up with him uh, in late summer. I was wondering whether I'd be able to share that conversation. I was hoping to tie it in with a conversation on a specialist in uh, suicide, but uh, which I'm still hoping to arrange over the coming episodes. But I thought today, after speaking about musicians, it would be a good moment to share that one. If that conversation brought up any ideas or, thing, or things you wanted to share or things you disagreed with, as always, we encourage debate and conversation here on Mental Health Matters. And you can uh, get in touch with us here on the show uh, via Twitter, primarily, at MHM Podcast. And you can uh, debate ideas there, uh, or also on Facebook, there's a group you can join, Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. So that brings us on to the next conversation. And uh, as I mentioned at the start of the show, I might uh, spread this between two episodes, because I'm not so great at editing anyway, and I'm not always good at choosing what to leave out of a conversation. Uh, I've done a little bit with this conversation with Christy OG, because as always, when we speak, there's always so much that comes up, and we have, always have a great conversation anyway. But uh, I thought, because it's quite a long conversation, I would split it over two episodes, and it uh, allows me to have the next episode of Mental Health Matters available by the end of the month. But uh, yeah, Chris is a fantastic you know, mental health. I'm not sure he called himself a mental healer, but uh, it's one of the ways you know you could describe his work. He helps people how they you know with how they feel about themselves, especially with regard to gender, um, and also it ties in well with the self-talk topic I brought up at, with a quote at the start of the show. But in this conversation, we talked about, uh, like with uh, Darren Allen in the previous episode, how things like the workplace can. Uh, and, you know, things in society can impose on us and not make us feel good about ourselves. And uh, not seeing dexterous expressions of emotions in society. Uh, one of the topics that came up in the conversation was how, you know, we're very tolerant of children on a physical perspective, how they take a while to be able to move, uh, to get up and walk. And, uh, and they also they have good examples in the adults around them of moving and walking. There seems to be a consistency in how adults do that. But as children grow up, there isn't a consistency in how adults express themselves emotionally, you know, due to all the little uh, glitches that can happen when all of us grow up. So that can uh, prove a bit of a distortion in how uh, young people see the examples of emotional expression in growing up. And uh, Chris explains that really well in the conversation. And also uh, other things that are brought up are uh, how you know our feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness uh, you know don't help as well. Also, uh, you know maybe uh, one of the few places and why it's so dramatic in people's use use of drugs and in parties is that uh, it's in those environments that people feel so much more tolerable uh, of their expression and even things that that might uh, you know not work out very well and how it's you know the only sort of safe space for them to do that and how in other areas of society that is frowned upon to do anything too out of the ordinary but anyway kind of gives an idea of some of the things that we talk about so uh, why not uh, let chris continue that and here's my conversation with him well uh, what a pleasure it is to see you again chris I'm uh, here with Christopher D.O.G. and feel welcome in his home up here in Suffolk. The second attempt at our conversation for the Mental Health Podcast. Uh, thanks for your time and patience at this other second attempt. Well, likewise, likewise. It. Uh, it was an epic first effort, really, considering we weren't as settled as we are here in the home. We were <laughs> literally in a car park with 
giant mics and headphones on. I imagine it was most entertaining for those walking by. <laughs> I think people, <laughs> few people did look in. They really did. I noticed the, the added element of comedy of the stadium near the side of the A12. And wondering, you know, whether if we can, uh, if, well, we, if we were to explain it, we can say we weren't allowed into the game. That wasn't happening. Although we were facing a tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then the beautifully, the moon came up after as well. The full moon. It was lovely. Came up behind. Until we found out our conversation wasn't recorded. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here. And uh, even though part of the sadness, I feel, when things like that don't work out, uh, is that, you know, there's a little feeling of the loss of energy or wind in the sails of the conversation. But I think, you know, we've got a lot of grounding in what we want to cover anyway. Yeah. And uh, often we can, you know, see things in a different perspective and also include things that we may have forgotten yeah. uh, this time around. And one of them is nutrition. I think we didn't cover that in the last conversation. But I guess I wanted to introduce uh, introduce you because of, you know, your work you do, like I think we've talked about before, how it's very difficult to uh, describe what you do, but it does cover mental healing. Uh, either based around language or uh, gender work. And so I, because uh, my work here in the Mental Health Podcast in Phoenix FM, I speak to many people who are directly helping people, either in, directly in psychiatry, psychology, or, you know, also is quite widespread at the moment. Thankfully, for to help a lot of people is mindfulness and meditation and people teaching techniques to help people directly that can uh, assist with that. But um, there were, like I said last time, there are some broader issues in society that uh, I do want to look at, you know, as to why it is a pandemic, as you describe yeah. uh, at the moment, you know, mental health seems to be everywhere. A lot of people seem to be talking about it at the moment. I guess some of the broader issues I try to touch on is, you know, not sure how you can find a solution, but like things like the financial system, the, the nature of work, uh, you know, some manipulation, perhaps, from the media perspective, what we're being led to believe is good and bad. And then, you know, some of it, or quite a lot of it actually touches on what you say, like, you know, the use of language, how we're made to feel certain ways, or how a lot of things are suppressed. Emotions, especially as young people, were taught that things should be suppressed. So, yeah, I mean, like, where's a good place to start? So, you know, just to try to describe your work there. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I do. I cover a lot of bridges. My primary branches of work are in language and mental remapping, not NLP, though, and not semiotics. It goes to a deeper level than that. I consider them to be quite sort of, uh, without meaning any disrespect to the practitioners in those fields, I consider them to be quite rudimentary. Okay. Um, but when I, I feel like the first thing I have to do, knowing that there will be mental health professionals and... Uh, you know, certainly um, academic professionals who may be listening is I need to clarify what I mean by healing because you're one of, actually, you're one of uh, the very, very few people that I have in private mentioned that if I could sum up what it is that I do, I would call it mental healing. Yeah. But I would never call it that publicly. Uh. And here we are now in a public arena. But it's okay. <laughs> it's okay because I'm quite happy to clarify what I mean by mental healing because I think it's always a bit important to clear up our terms because yeah. I don't, you know, I think uh, many people may get the wrong idea of what I mean by healing. Because so you, it's it. difficult to say you do healing without, you know, specific qualifications in it, especially in the Qualifications and also case study and also, you know, people want, empirical repeatable results yeah now, the results are repeatable the methods that i use are repeatable but they, they they always have to be brought to life in the contextual situations of that individual's life right and that is always personal it can't you know you can extrapolate like with like but you you know it's it's very difficult to say absolutes with well isn't that you're just saying that that kind of highlights the issues with having a broad brush approach to mental health yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know, helping people because that's yeah. the case with everybody. Yes, yes, and the problem the problem we're dealing with, I think, is is a, a conflation, which is a confusion or an overlapping of behaviours with causes. So you can have 
hundreds of causes that can give rise to the same behavior. So, for example, an outburst of yeah. anger. So an outburst of anger can look like somebody cursing and swearing and shaking their fists, or it can look like somebody, you know, biting their lip and, and looking down and walking away quietly. Yeah. But the, the anger is the same in humans, but the cause of the anger could be any number of things. And when we're talking about mental distress, the variables are manifold, but they can give rise to very similar looking fixations and obsessions. But I feel like I still need to quickly lay my stall out by defining what I mean by mental healing first. So when I'm talking about healing the mind, obviously, unlike a disease in the body where I can clearly see whether a wart is gone or whether or whether the the thing has been excised, it's obviously not that easy in the mental sphere to achieve objectivity. But here's what I mean by, by mental healing. Once, I mean three things. One freedom from the persecution of your own thoughts freedom from the persecution of your own thoughts so so many people i know have thoughts that come up now thoughts are like clouds they're like the wind they come and go and as we'll talk about later on i think when we talk about mastery we'll see that until one has a level of mastery over the mind and the mind can indeed be filled with a whole spectrum Mm. of randomness and most mental health so uh yeah freedom from the persecution of one's own thoughts so so many people will have thoughts pop up and they fixate or obsess about the thought and I would consider mental wellness to be the ability to have agility over which thoughts we fixate upon and which we can let go of. Yeah. And I would, you know, that's the summary, that's the nutshell. The, the problem we have in the world and in culture is, of course, the behaviours that can stem from those fixations and conclusions. Right. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. So the other thing about uh, what I mean by mental healing is the freedom for your mind to walk down any pathway or any idea or explore any concept without you being afraid that it's going to get you. Mm. So there's so many people I know of who are who are afraid to talk about their sexuality or they're afraid to talk about their confusion or their irrationality or their, you know, or behaviours. And uh, it seems to be because they're afraid that if they say certain words or if they even think certain things that those thoughts will get them or that it will make them a certain way. So, yeah. I, I mean, for example, I remember growing up when I, you know, I really focused on self-development for a good part of my later teens. And a lot of my friends were saying to me, because I wasn't that bothered about girls at the time, they were like, are you, are you gay? <laughs> you know, are you, are you gay? It's all right, man. You're, my, you're a friend, you know, but are you gay? Because I was getting a lot of attention from women when we were out dancing. So I would go out, I used to love to go out dancing. It's about dancing at the disco and stuff like that. I get a lot of attention, but I wasn't really that interested. So that's when the conversation came up. Yeah. And not wanting to be one to hide from myself, I, I thought, actually, do you know what? I don't know. I've never thought about it. So I decided to look, and I was like looking at these guys. I was thinking, you know, looking to see whether there was just anything, you know, really not being afraid to go there, like afraid like the sexuality would get me if I thought about Uh, it. So that's what I mean. So I mean that about all aspects of the mental landscape when I talk about mental healing, because so many people are afraid or reactive or shirk from their own thoughts because they're afraid that it it makes them a certain way. Mm. It's like, no, those are your thoughts. Until they translate into behavior, what's the issue here? This is just processing. This is digestion. This is conception. This is a mental freedom, freedom of speech. Yeah. Let your mind, let your mind run free, and then rein it in when you reach conclusions. So that's another definition of what I mean by mental healing. Those two are the main ones I would focus on, and that I do focus on in achieving with people when I'm working with them initially. Now, there's much deeper stuff that I do later on. We we talked about it a bit in the last chat. I don't think we'll go there this time, but certainly uh, with most people, that that's the level they need to work at. Which is because when you mention things like mindfulness, yeah, there is so much mindfulness going on, uh, you know, at the moment. There's so many things out there to help people handle stress and hectic lives mm. and things like that. But as far as I can see they are all coping strategies they are not solving the causes they're simply 
how to get a breather from the bombardment, not necessarily how to actively manage that bombardment without the, without the stress being compounded, and also how to deal with the backlog. That's yeah. the big problem a lot of people have got, is the time, the space, the modality to deal with the backlog of unprocessed stuff. And, uh, yeah, to have the time to sit and process it, because especially people I see in London, and my own experience of being there, is that you can't stop, and so you're always getting these layers upon layers of energy moments that keep adding up and you're it just weighs upon you and it's interesting you, you mentioned about um managing your behavior because yeah one of the things that happens to me is that when i have these waves of regret which i guess is one of my bugbears is that sometimes you do blurt things out and then you kind of get self-conscious of uh i don't know did anybody hear that or mm. is it kind of process of like it'll kick myself and then i'll say something expressing at the same time and so yeah we have these little gl- glitches that happen yeah, yeah, exactly. And that my, when I'm referring to mental healing, the journey is also about, you know, getting rid of that sort of staccato misfiring yeah. of the tools of expression, you know, our yeah. feelings, our words, our thoughts, you know, because at the minute for a lot of people, I think they work in, in not necessarily in conflict, but certainly in odd gearings, you know, where you have a lot of people living their life either too rigidly in control one minute and too out of control the next yeah. because they can't get the balance right or they're medicating and suppressing the, the, the you know a lot of the time um and i think i mentioned it you know we mentioned it last time it needs to be, it needs to be said again that i think a lot of the the mental health problems that we're seeing in our culture now are fallout yeah these are fallout from an unnatural working environment and un, a, a working environment that's not for the well-being yeah. of the participants and it's creating emotional issues that aren't that where there isn't the time and the space to process because the emotions do not move as fast as the mind does yeah they just don't move you can come up with all sorts of conclusions about how you want to change your life yeah and you can arrive at that in seconds but to make changes emotionally can take quite a lot longer or it takes time to catch up Especially if there's a glitch or damage to it somehow. Yeah, yeah, or especially if there's a wounded in the relationship. Yeah. So, so people are being persecuted by their thoughts. Like you were you were saying there, that, that, that the situation you described there mm. was you were persecuted by your thoughts, yeah. where it's one thing to make an appropriate measurement of self over a deed to seek improvement or to say, you know, how did I do there? Well, that was a difficult situation. It didn't quite go as well as I wanted it to. Yeah. Which isn't really the tales that I hear from many people, which is the ones that do handle it that well tend to be successful in culture. Yeah. Um, but obviously we're dealing with people that aren't necessarily successful in culture. And what you'll find is that, that their mind is telling them how stupid they were, how daft they were, you know, and whatever other negative and derogatory judgment terms they may have. And yeah. You can make a mistake mistake just once and your mind may well persecute you for days and weeks and months or even years yeah. after that yeah, so when i'm sure. talking about mental healing i mean stopping that yeah if and you can like, stop that if you can stop that without needing for it always to be in an isolated sitting breathing thing because yeah. that's taking yourself out of the world that's unplugging that's the, the one problem with meditation or mindfulness is being presented as being a sort of catch-all as well it's only good for when you're sitting yeah, I mean, it yourself. does help you, uh, yeah, and be in the present moment, and which is can, can be applied to whatever you're doing. You know, you know, if you're mindful of what is happening at the yeah. same time, sometimes yeah. maybe you can then be at the same pace where things are happening, and then you can uh, manage that yeah. better. But it's easier said than done sometimes. But, like like when we talk about this, these working environments, that's what comes to mind. Is that you know how often do we see you know people uh, under stress, you know, working in, the, in these unnatural environments, then on the Friday night or weekend, they let go and go the other way, yes. self-medicate to numb the pain, but then yeah. just acting, yeah. you know, uncontrollably. 
exactly because well because there's two things going on here and i don't think i made the point earlier but most mental health isn't mental health most of it is emotional health with mental effects it's emotional health issues that have long been compounded that have now cascaded into mental effects and mental distortions what i call window dressing yeah so there's just so much window dressing going on out there and obviously when people start to medicate the garments of window dressing come off and the truth of the mannequin reveals itself yeah. you know the real state of it i remember um i used to do a few free parties i didn't do many of them i was kind of on the tail end of the free party scene and my my generation was uh Coke and E. When yeah. E first came out, that was the, you know, e, you know, ecstasy was the big party drug of the time. But the next wave, the next generation after my wave was into K. So we were E, they were K. Yeah. So K being ketamine, the horse tranquilizer. And um, what I found fascinating, I, want, I remember one free party where I remember uh, just walking into the tent at about four o'clock in the morning or something like that. And I just got the glimpse of the lights shining over these people on a substance I was completely unfamiliar with. Yeah. And it looked like the cross between a strobified scene from a Victorian mental hospital and a horror movie. Right. And wow. it was completely fine because everybody was safe and they had gone there for that. Yeah. And it's like these people, you know, it looked to me, I had a real heartrending moment. They were to realize this is the only place they can come for this catharsis. It's the only place that's safe to let this move out in the way that it needs to, which isn't rational, it's not coherent, it doesn't fit social norms, but this is just how the body has stored it up. Yeah. And this is the way the body needs to release it. And, you know, some people were standing and vomiting while they were standing there and, you know, still having this kind of spasmic staccato dance movement going on with all their friends celebrating around them. But I could I could see the therapy of it for them. I really could see the therapy of it, and I could see the the benefit they could get considering all the variables we were talking about: the unnatural environment, the pressure to conform, the pressure to be perfect, the pressure to be perfect from infancy. Yeah, you know. And then where is the chance to let the imperfect out a little bit? Um, so that was just an example of where you know where I where I saw the medication uh, that that people are doing because normally when you see people drinking or taking substances you don't get quite the glimpse that I got on that occasion yeah. and that glimpse I think was telling me a real truth about the purpose lying behind people's drinking habits and their drug habits and things like that and that is that they are so emotionally suppressed and there is so little safety for them to be imperfect yeah. with it, uh, that these environments are the place where finally the emotions get a little bit of expression, yeah. but they aren't quite as dexterous and skillful as the nine-to-five business mind is. Yeah. And so you can see a lot of people getting into trouble in their careers yeah. when their emotional truth starts to show itself. It's interesting, isn't it? substances come into play. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it's about, I mean, for me, the conversation has to be about getting honest about getting away from our expectations of this perfect conduct. I mean, that's yeah. a madness. I mean, we have this thing about, oh, you know, I'm a civilized Brit. I'm a 21st century oh, spiritual yes. <laughs> being and I'm qualified and I'm well-dressed and all the rest of it. And it's like, look, mate, you burp, you trip, you fart, you fall down the stairs, you do all this yeah. stuff. And unless we can, we can give tolerance for those sort of bumbling aspects of humanity, we're never going to have a fully healthy society that looks with compassion and gentleness at those that 
aren't necessarily as skillful or rational or clear because we don't all have to be intellectual, rational graduates. We really don't. We're yeah. not even built that way. Nature doesn't build anything to be a unipurpose like that. Yeah. And we're certainly not built that way. Some of us are really emotional. Some of us are really mental. Some of us are really physical. And until we can cater to that, you know, we just get, we just create these completely unrealistic expectations of the social mold, yeah. which is more and more becoming some kind of monosex drone yeah and as people try to mold themselves to that of course the truth of their humanity is going to reveal itself yeah and there's going to be massive fallout massive fallout which is sadness and depression and massive uh, judgment of self as not being up to that social measure yeah and one of the <clears throat> measures what we judge ourselves on is well is this imagined judgment from others yeah. This is the, so it's not just our own uh, mind that we're trying to, uh, or suppress or avoid. Uh, it's this, what we believe other people are thinking of us, hence yeah. not, or hence wanting to act in ways that we think we should be acting and, yeah. uh, you know, or be, being self-conscious and all these. That's you know. the window dressing. Yeah, That's yeah. what I mean by window. I mean, the the ugly puppet show yeah. that goes on every day is really, it's, a, it's like a scene at Thunderbirds. You know, it's Thunderbirds going on yeah. there all day, every day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where is the truth? Where is the reality? You know, and uh, will we get to see that? I'm not sure. Do we want to at the minute? I'm not sure. It's certainly something that, that's going to require a lot of maturity and skill to handle because there's no doubt about it, the numbers suffering from emotional and mental distress is climbing rapidly. And it's it, means, a, yeah. it means that the political and social structures that we've put in to try to address these things have not and are not working yeah what now yeah, yeah. exactly it brought to mind that perspective of john trudell the native indian i spoke about last time who uh describes how humans are used as a resource yes and uh you know like if you take oil from the ground process it to use for fuel there's a huge toxic waste yes and the same thing with humans when you use us as a resource for this system or machine then what's left the, the you know our insecurities our mental illness is uh you know the waste from that use using us for yes. in that way yes yes indeed that's a, that's a, that is a really valid point because uh Nothing that nature has made other than rocks performs, or the elements basically. So the elements are the only things that deliver 24-7, 365. Yeah. Nothing else does. No trees, no life form, nothing performs at like a machine, proper tilt, yeah. like a car engine all year round. Nothing. Yeah. And yet we expect that from people. Companies yeah. expect that. They expect you to be 100%. 95, 365, regardless of the seasons, regardless of the temperature, regardless of the darkness, regardless of the numbers of daylight, regardless of how many animals are hibernating, regardless yeah. of where you are in the world, yeah. this totally unrealistic expectation has been utterly normalized. And it was interesting how he put it, uh, you know, I'm interested in his, his angle on seeing it as like a waste byproduct. I, I see it differently. I see it as that we are all whole beings all the time. Yeah. We all have a physical need and reality, an emotional need and reality, a mental need and reality, and even a spiritual need and reality. Even those that deny that they have one, everybody's got one. You've got something plugged in there. It just depends on what you bunged in that hole. But everybody's got that sort of belief hole. Whatever you've put in there, that's that's your bag. Yeah. But the point being that we've all got that, and it's there 24-7, all of us. You can't. None of it's not there. 
But what we have in the workplace is we have people being told, you're not allowed to bring that here right now. Yeah. That can't be here. There's partitions. You must partition this. You want to be a spiritual being, yeah. you do that at 7 till 9 on a Tuesday night on your, yeah. on your on your yoga class. And for the rest of it, forget it. Or night 10 till 11 on church on Sunday. Yeah. You don't be bringing that into work here. You know, we're, we're serving, we're serving six, you know, um, what's that Capital word? Capital or something. Yeah, no, we're just serving customers here, yeah, basically. Yeah. But the point being, when people are asked to switch off so much of their humanity, and to deal with it later. Yeah. You're then compounding the time that's left to deal with and process the emotional reality of being in an environment with people that you may not like and may not get on with. You may be surrounded by bullies yeah. or people who aren't very, you know, who don't want to be there as well. So there's a toxicity. And, uh, you know, you've got all sorts of people with their own personal mental distress issues, their own inadequacy, taking out on people above and below them. The, but the, I remember the backbiting and bitchiness yeah. I encountered in the, in the British workplace and the British office is just a staggering thing to behold. But when... Can the genuine, fragile, vulnerable human that we all really are, when does it get to process that? Yeah. And then if you're saying, well, you've got two hours in the commute, so you can't do it in the tube, you know, so really you're going to have to, or you might be able to meditate on the tube or something like that. But even then, that's not processing emotion. Yeah. That's just stilling everything so you're not feeling any distress right now. It's a coping strategy. When is the space to cathartically process your emotion, to let it move through you in the way that every one of us did as infants? And the reality is for most people, they're not giving themselves that time. Yeah. So what they end up with is they end up with outbursts, what I call spasms. And so these spasms will manifest with drugs or alcohol or with tantrums or in sexual deviation or in various other perversions or in mental distress. And it's because these emotional aspects, which are as large as the mental, are getting squashed up and only given seconds of expression before before it's been clamped up and judged again. Yeah. And, you know, where does the opportunity to become skillful? You know, there just isn't, there just isn't one. Yeah, and it uh, comes back to what you talked about last time with these steps that would be natural. So when we're a baby, we're able to have these moments So when we're learning to move, learning to talk, but we don't give ourselves the time to develop the emotional exactly. skills. I mean, this to me is the crux of it. This is So whenever people ask me what I mean by self-mastery, I use the example of the baby on the mat because everybody was a baby on the mat. It doesn't matter if you don't remember it, you absolutely were. The very fact that you're here as a perambulating adult is evidence of the fact that you were a baby on the mat. Yeah. So, but as that baby on the mat, we were all, we all had no dexterity we had yeah. no physical dexterity you know we had plenty of will any parent will tell you the will is equal though the stature is not well that's my experience anyway yeah. you know the will is equal but um just the dexterity isn't and the, the, the personal power isn't yet but what happens over time is we manage to go from the spasmic lashing of the limbs into a dexterous wielding that takes many years of getting it very very wrong mm. and i mean it takes a year you know six months just to be able to sit up a year to walk two years to talk and nobody I know can tell me how they move their larynx or how they get up and walk out of a room. I've taught thousands of people over the years, thousands of people have been doing my events. Be like, anybody here, give me a clear instruction as to what you do to get up and walk out of here, please. And I've never met a human being that can do it. But every human being that can't tell me how they do it can get up and walk out of the room. Yeah. So you're all demonstrating to me a dexterity and a skill and an aptitude that you've got no idea how you gained it and you've got no idea how you're using it all the time. And, you know, you're trying to, and in a way, I kind of laugh to myself that these these very people claim to know themselves yeah, and claim to know their route to freedom and power and, you know, self-mastery. And I'm like, well, you don't even know how you get up. You don't yeah. even know how you, you don't even know how you wash your face, you know. Tell me about yourself then. Tell me what you are, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Point being, that journey, that hand, this hand of mine that used to knock over the cup when as, as often, more often than I wanted to pick it up, you know, it's like, oh, I spilled the milk more often than I picked it up. 
I clawed my mum when I planned on caressing her. Yeah. You know, how many times did I do that before I got it right? And now I can deftly wield an art brush. My art isn't that good, but I can wield the art brush. Yeah. You know, I can catch a moving ball. I can hand you a near full cup of coffee without spilling it on you. And I imagine almost all the listeners can as well. Yeah. And these are incredible feats of dexterity when you consider that you were the baby on the mat and nobody showed you how you move an arm or lift a leg and you yeah. look at what you're doing. I mean, that's astonishing. It's astonishing. But the thing is, as we discussed before and as you mentioned, the thing is that, so when I'm working on a, on a mental health aspect with people, I like to use the idea of bodies not to be in any way metaphysical or abstract but because when we're talking about the emotions they don't have a container yeah you know when we're talking about them they don't have a, they don't have a shape so i like to use the example of a body because people can look down at their body and be like all right okay a body okay let's just imagine there's one there that's emotion it's a feeling body yeah and you know it's it's the bit that feels sad or happy or arousal or sensuality or embarrassment or shame you know these sort of feelings now the thing is that the emotional body as i call it is properly birthed forth at puberty it's gestating until then, but it's birthed forth at puberty and it spasms and lashes without dexterity in the same way as the physical body did. Yeah. So in the same way that baby in the mat was filling its nappy with poo and pee without any control, that's what pubescent kids are doing with their feelings, with their arousal, their sensuality, their curiosity, their perception that the grass is always greener on the other side be it financial or gender yeah you know and that they're, they're spasming and they're lashing and it's completely normal but where is the support where is the example of dexterously wielded gender and emotion out there yeah. and my great concern is that what we are we are seeing ugliness compounding upon ugliness because we are not seeing dexterous expressions of emotion and uh, and sexuality and sensuality out there which means that when you look at so one of the things about learning to walk is even if your mum and dad aren't that good at walking when you look around everybody else is doing it yeah and they're all doing it roughly a similar way so it's like all oh, right this is the walking gig I can, you know, I can, I can look around at any time, even if I'm four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, I can look around and get a benchmark of 100 people walking yeah. daily. Where can I get the example of 100 people expressing anger well, uh, or right. sensuality yeah. well, or sexuality well? Where do I see that? And what I'm seeing instead is what I call the spasms. And the spasms are people who haven't given themselves the time to get skillful and dexterous with how they feel about things and their body spasms, and so does the words, you know, and they, they lash without control, and, uh, you know, then what we have is what I call the mop-up, and the mop-up is where, oh, I don't know what came over me, it wasn't yeah. me, it wasn't me, I don't know what it was, I was possessed, it was the booze, it was the this, it was the that, and this is that, this is where we have that beginning of the persecution of self, you have the separation of self kicking in there, because yeah. somebody's disidentifying with their own deed, and immediately there, that person, no matter how high-functioning you are in culture, that person is not well. Yeah. Not well. And know, especially if well. you're a, a parent yeah. situation and the youngster is seeing that, there, yeah. there's no foundation, as you say. And yeah. also, there's not the space for them to exactly. have their spasms to exactly. develop through them. Exactly. I mean, I know that I fell over countless times to get able to walk. And I know that in general, my parents were very supportive in yeah. general. It may have got to the stage when I was being lazy at three and a half and they're like, well, you get up now. Come on, I'm not coming over. Come on, you get yeah. up, you're fine. You know, yeah. God, there's got to be a line somewhere, doesn't there? But <laughs> the point being that, um, you know, they were generally very supportive of me getting it wrong. Same when, you know, that's where we get the no use crying over spilled yeah, milk. Yeah. Because it is going to happen. Yeah. The milk is going to get spilled. If you've got a young human that is going to, that you want to end up getting to any level of skill, they are going to spill stuff. They're going to yeah. knock it over. Why? 
why please i'm like pleading to anybody who might be listening why do we not have that same tolerance for the sensual and sexual awakening of our teenagers yeah why do we why is it that we turn on each other with such derision and judgment because that was what i received when i first started to move with the limbs of arousal and self-consciousness and all that sort of stuff what i got for my efforts that were wrong were judgment derision scorn humiliation or not or maybe not attention so they could be going down avenues and giving uh, some bad examples from their peers or outside and the parents are afraid to deal with it and uh, yes yes that as well and this is where this is where the tolerance of the culture is becoming the pathway to madness collective like general madness rather than isolated fringe madness and we'll get onto that in just a second yeah Um, just remind me i'll write that down yeah um because it's really it's really key that the the thing to me that and from having worked in the mental health field for a number of years as well the number one thing that i saw that determined whether a person was able to handle a mental or emotional spasm well or not there's only one thing that determines it and that person can have an outburst that can be violent they can be tearing a room up and there's still one thing that will determine whether that person moves through into a state of improved wellness or moves into a state of greater fixation and obsession. And that is how the people around them react to it. Mm. And how the people around them respond when they start saying something untoward or unexpected, or when they start acting in an unusual way, those first responders, those people around them, be it a child or an adult, they are the ones who determine whether this is going to head towards wellness or illness. That's a good point, yeah. It just that is it. And this is the problem we're dealing with the gender confusion just now, and it's the problem we're dealing with general, you know, the rise in, in, in depression in the 4 to 10-year-olds, the medication of kids on, these substan- on, on substances for mental, so-called mental well-being, which is suppression. Whenever you're using medication, yeah. it's always suppression. So we're getting suppression of the prepubescent, we're getting puberty blockers, yeah. you know, and there's over a thousand kids in this country on puberty blockers now. I'm sorry, every one of those is child abuse. Yeah. It's child abuse because these people are just in the beginning spasms of something where they are children and they do not know what is moving through them. And they look to their guides and guardians to say, what is this? Yeah. What is this I'm feeling? Help me. Show me the way. So and they're being pointed yeah. to horror, to mutilation, to absolute interference with body's natural processes. Don't get me wrong. If an adult wants to decide that they want to mutilate their body to satisfy their mental state then that's up to them but when we're dealing with somebody who is only just encountering the gender spasms that are going to dominate their life for around 10 years that is abuse that is a that's a breach of trust that is a breach of trust and i've met people who are saying i've met i've worked with trans people and like i encountered people in the trans community who have been at my events and they'd be like well what about the kids that commit suicide and blah 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 it's all about the first responders yeah it's so all about the first we're responders. Having, that, we're having that um yeah. supportive it's cool it's okay yeah, this it's is normal this is process it's yeah. normal to think oh because i remember going through it and i know loads of people that I, nobody i know didn't go through it when i was looking at girls thinking oh, they've got a great Mm. They've got a great, look at that, everybody does stuff for the girls. And look at that, they, they, they get to behave in an untoward way and they can they can they get away with it in a way that boys don't. You know, that was my experience. Mm. And I just clocked up all these things where to me, girls were powerful yeah. and boys weren't. And to me, it was like, and I would, I would you know, like, and I've seen it in my children. They try on new behaviours and ideas like a garment yeah. to see, it's like, it's, it really is, just use the, the, the analogy of, trying on new clothes like going into a shop trying on new clothes and asking your nearest and dearest what they think yeah. that's essentially what children are doing when they're trying on new behaviours and ideas they're putting on a garment they see somebody else in and they're like hey mum and dad what do you think of this hey carer what do you think yeah. of this and when we've got people 
turn around and say, oh, though, let's let's take that as a fixed conclusion. Let's yeah. take it that you've arrived at a conclusion about yourself now. And okay, you may have done it a few hundred times, but I'm I'm now going to decide that this is a fixed conclusion. Yeah. And I'm now going to direct you towards this route of intervention or something yeah. like that. When historically speaking, it's completely normal for boys and girls to go through that period of confusion, consideration, as they're coming to terms and coming to peace with who they are as, as an <clears> entity <throat> on this on this planet, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I don't think we should ask anybody about any gender conclusions about themselves until the age 24, because yeah. that's when the hormonal surges start to wear off. 24, 25, ask somebody then. Until then, all right, yeah, I'm hearing where you're at right now, yeah. but I'm going to wait. You know, yeah. if you want to maintain fixating on that, that's up to you. Yeah. But really, there's a whole range of behaviours and garments you can try on. Yeah. You know, try a few. I don't mean try a few on in terms of try things on that you wouldn't normally. What I do mean is the phases don't become fixated on the first thing that crops up. You know, that's the thing is, you know, the first, it's like, you know, say a four year old decides they want to be a fighter pilot and then the parents do everything. Then, oh, he's decided, he said it. There's first conclusion, fighter pilot, let's steer him that way, sort of thing. You know, it really, (laughs) but it feels to me that that's what people are doing. And what you've got is you've got children, I don't mean to belabor the point in gender, but it's really related because it's related to the mental health reactivity as well, where you've got people, in the case of children, you've got people who can't decide their own bedtime, they can't decide what they're having for dinner, they can't drive a vehicle, they can't decide who to vote for, they can't be in a long-term relationship, they're not allowed to have children, people who who attempt to copulate with them will go yeah. to jail for it, so yeah. they're protected individuals, and they're protected from decision-making, and yet they're allowed to make a lifelong yeah. decision about gender identity that involves <laughs> pharmaceutical intervention until the day they die. This is a, this is incredible abuse. Sorry, it is a mental health issue, though. Uh, yeah. It really is, and I, I wanted to talk it into how, how general this is becoming, and how this is now, we're getting to generalise mental acceptance of mental distress. So there's an interview the other day on CNN about an American transgender, transracial guy who, uh, he's a, he was born a man, but he identified as being a Filipino woman. And on there was a modern, clearly gender studies, women's studies graduate from American universities. I've, met, I've, I've, I've had quite a few interviews with them and they tend to all speak in a similar way because of how they've been indoctrinated. And she was going on about, well, this is great, it's 2017. If he's a Filipino woman, this is fine. It's like, but he's a white male. Yeah. But if he identifies as a, as, a, as a Filipino woman, then that's fine. What's wrong with that? This is 2017. We're a tolerant, accepting society. <clears throat> What's wrong with that? And as this guy started to say, he was like, well, you know, we used to have, what about if I identify as Napoleon? Is that okay? And she was like, well, yeah, of course it is. Because, <laughs> you know, this is 2017. We're a tolerant, inclusive society. If I want to think I'm Napoleon and people want to be friends with me like that, then that's fine. What's wrong with it? And he then came in with the absolute, the underliner, you know, the KO, the mic drop, which was, well... We used to call people like that delusional, whereas now, instead of saying they're delusional and helping support them accept the objective reality, objective reality is being asked to shift to meet somebody's subjective, untested conclusions about themselves and the world. And now we're getting to the stage where the legislation is starting to support that, to where we are being compelled to support something which is patently, objectively false, but because somebody has subjectively decided by their own personal measure that it's true, that we are going to be compelled to agree with, with, with at the minute in Canada, quite severe penalties yeah. for, not, for not agreeing. Now, this is the publication of 
mental illness. This is the normalization of mental distress. Yeah. Normalization. And this, the people who are promoting it, I mean, they cannot see to the, the atomized hell that this is going to take us to in terms of achieving common agreement. And the only way we, we as a society, get things done is by a common agreement of what is important. What is important to stand by? What is the important direction to head in? All the rest of it. And when we break that down to say, well, although you can decide for yourselves, yeah. then the result is going to go nowhere. It's going to go nowhere, and this is exactly what we're going to see happening. And what we're already seeing happening is that because of this atomization process of breaking groups down, breaking groups down, all the rest of it, these factions of people who, in my opinion, are suffering from a dysphoria, in this case, gender dysphoria, are turning on each other. Yeah. You know, they're turning on each other because they can't, not because they weren't well in the first place. Yeah. And they're being supported down a direction that is completely removed from objective reality. Now, I know that's going to upset a lot of people, but to me, the fact that people are painting it that it's a natural solution to modify and transition your body into an opposite sex as if nature could get it wrong and as if, you know, the surgical and medical interventions are a natural balancing act. Yeah. That's utter madness. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you can't even medicate that. Yeah, because you've got mental health professionals and surgical professionals that are mandating this perspective that for these children that are looking for guidance and to help me find my way in the objective world, yeah. they're just being, that's a violation of an incalculable order, if you ask me. I mean, this makes me wonder whether it's uh, an agenda what, you know, with the legislation and the support. It seems like a, like a switch has been flicked, especially in the media as well i'm um, just trying to remember the example i was oh it's like yeah because there's something that's been predicted and engineered through the example in 1984 to get yeah, it, yeah. to get us to the point where you can hold up three fingers ask how many fingers am i holding up and you, you have to say five yes and it's not only because yes. you, that's what you want them to think you, they you actually think. think it yeah yes and this is this is yes. the uh, changing of our perceptions we're there we're already there but I, yeah. I, for, with, with these gender studied people who have studied these humanities courses in America they now uh, like I saw a powerpoint from one of their courses scientific facts are social constructs right okay scientific so basically o objective measures cannot be trusted and so I had this uh, I had an interview recently with uh, it was it was a panel discussion with a woman who charges people to help them break their gender conditioning um, she's a graduate of uh, California uh, University more than one she's got an MA BSc a few things well no they're both arts they're not sciences they're arts she's got a women's studies and gender studies gra graduate and she's charging people quite a lot of money to break gender conditioning and she was genuinely in the conversation could see no value in objective agreement she could see no value in it and she said well what's the value of objective agreement why do, why do we need to objectively agree what's a man or a woman why can't somebody just make it up for themselves i said well i said what the value of an objective agreement is we want to meet at the coffee shop tomorrow but if in your world a coffee shop's a hospital and in my world it's a police station yeah. how are we ever going to meet how are we going to meet in the mind or physically if we haven't agreed our terms if we're not talking about the same thing and as soon as you do that then we we don't even have a shared language anymore you've just yeah. dissolved the language not only have you disembodied yourself into mental abstraction where you can't answer the obvious question of which sex am I? What's my gender? You know, to look down and say, all right, okay, that's fine. And I might be in the feminine yeah. part of my manness at the minute. I might even be in the bit that makes me feel, I feel so feminine, I feel like a woman, but I'm a man that feels like a woman there. And yeah. this is this part of my spectrum. That's the real gender spectrum, not this. How I the, feel moment yeah, to moment. Exactly. It moves, it moves and it shifts. But um, the movement that's going on that underpins most of the liberal agenda, it is the, and most of the left, you know, most leftist politics, which is, subjective is more important than objective. 
And I think there's a there's been a need for this shift because the pendulum had swung too far yeah. in favour of object objectivity. So I, I'll give you an example of that. I did quite a lot of activism around Codex Alimentarius when right. it came out, which was all about the management of additives in food and the chemicalisation of food. And uh, there was a fascinating research paper when it first started. Fascinating research paper. Uh, it's well published and uh, on, on the Codex site. And in it, it says, uh, the purpose of this risk assessment is to separate scientific facts from values. Because you may say, I don't want to eat plastic and I don't want melamine in my food. Yeah. Those are your values. But what are the facts? The reason we work on these levels and do experimentation is to establish the facts of what does happen when you do happen to have plastic in your diet. Yeah. You know? So... This is that it's a clear separation there between what you feel about it and what the facts are. And we kind of got to the stage in science in the world where basically what you think and what your values were were completely denigrated. Yeah. You go into the doctor and say, I feel this, I want that, and you'd be dismissed. Yeah. You go speak to scientists who, who, whose world often literally involves a lab. They're very, you know, may, maybe rarely in nature. They're going from one box to another box to another box. And um, I don't mean to be derogatory to people yeah. with scientific jobs, you know, but I am talking about that sort of petri dish view of things but these scientists were being totally dismissive of people's values and the subjective sense of things so it's natural that as with all things that have been swinging in the last century that this pendulum of subjective value would return and in fact my work on personal development is all about subjective value I think that one of the biggest causes of the pandemic we're dealing with is a sense of worthlessness and hopelessness and a sense that the world doesn't want you and need you and uh, like Um, no control of our lives yeah exactly and my work is really about healing that so I'm all about the the empowerment of the subjective view but with the objective with the result or the intended result of arriving at a shared real world yeah a shared objective world of, of the purpose of a uh, the value of the subjective to test it because obviously all innovation all genius all new breakthroughs all of them have come from people acting on subjective motivation to then objectify it. Yeah. And modern science now, you've got most of the people I consider to be the fanatical scientists who will dismiss subjectivity and will dismiss ima- imaginative daydreaming and for the purpose of trying to find new new things. The people who are dismissive of that are the ones who have done nothing themselves. They've added nothing to the scientific field themselves. Yeah. They're actually just science robots, but they're not they're not original thinkers. When you look at any of the original thinkers, all of them were moving from the subjective into the objective. But they were testing it. Yeah. They were testing their subjective conclusions. They were testing their theories. The reason I started doing my work 10 years ago was I, I was actually going, I was, I was giving myself a mental health test. I was saying, I was putting on these events about sound and language and stuff saying, look, I've come up with this. These are my theories in my subjective world. I'm testing it here against you, my peers, these randoms in the world. I'm testing it because if this makes sense to you, then I feel like we can, you know, we're going to move forward to arriving yeah. at a greater objective real world. But if not, I'll go and take the meds because I know that my subjective conclusion doesn't match up to the objective real. And that's what children are doing when they're coming up with their ideas. They're testing the subjective and not even the children, just all of us. We're testing the subjective against our peers. And the point being, though, surely is so that we can all arrive at a coherent, useful, objective world, you know, where we know, I know that when I'm I'm holding a hammer and I'm passing it to you, that we both know it's a hammer that we're dealing with and I'm not handing it to you and you think it's a suppository and you're going to go and stick it up your backside. You're going to be like, mate, that's really not what it's for. It's not for doing that. Don't do that with it, you know. But instead, with this rise of the subjective where we're being forced to back away and objectively give way to let people's subjective conclusions run riot, wow, that is... I mean, the, the, the chaos that can ensue within a few years of allowing this to run run riot, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I've got my ap- apocalypse popcorn out for that one. I have to say, I think, I mean, but I think, I think the tide will stem because I, I really, I do wonder that whether, whether they, you know, where this can actually go. I mean, I, I'm going to try and really be not too derogatory, but I can see if this liberal direction goes, and I mean the modern liberal, not true liberal, because I consider myself well, a true liberal, but yeah. if it keeps going, chaos. Well, I think again, this comes back to the agenda. I think it is coming towards some sort of Marxist socialist, yeah. uh, you know, blueprint wants to come down, and hence the changes in politics but uh, anyway yeah. that's a digression what i was going to uh, say was um like, like about a pen- pendulum swing there yes. seems to be a few examples of the pendulum swinging yes. too much one example was uh, some of the things i've been looking which uh, perhaps we can start talking about next is nutrition oh yes of course of that. we have to do that yeah and the example i was going to give was a pendulum swinging one way because it was too far one way in terms of the in terms of the production of meat for example how animals were getting treated how you know it was obvious that you know it was horrific and you know these mass scale you know industrial farming and certain measures but then the pendulum has swung too far the other way where now we have this rise in the vegan movement and tourists saying oh we shouldn't have meat at all yeah just yeah. because of how the animals were treated. So you get, it's yeah. like combining the two topics. You can't really say, okay, just because this section of the production was treating the animals in this way, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be eating meat. It's logical fallacies, conflation, it's really common yeah. in that sort of leftist thinking. Uh, just a comment on pendulum swinging. The thing about pendulum swinging is that as far as I can tell, it has always been this way and it can't be otherwise. The pendulum is always going to swing too far. Yeah. Always, because that's, that's, what, that's what gives rise to the corrective forces of our sort of like species equilibrium kicks in yeah. where those that are their incredulity and the outrage rises and rises and rises until that force starts to rise to match the one that's been swinging too far so uh, you're right it's a good example it's what I call transitional extremism so yeah. I call it tra- you, you, we see it in the art we're seeing it in the art world we're seeing it in the music world we're seeing it in all branches of life where these old edifices of what art is what gender is mm. what, 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 what relationships are this is all being broken down uh, you know with what I call extremism yeah. It's only to repair it as we swing it back the other way. I hope so because one result seems to be in terms of maybe a broader spectrum of like the uh, gender and uh, even the diet nutrition side of it is fewer babies being born. So what does that mean for our population? Is this, is there something behind us the uh, breakup of the family unit yeah. for the re- reduction in number of people having families? Which brought me onto one of the things we talked about last time. That great example you gave of uh, our ancestors and how you know they fought and how much they had to work to have children and continue their lineage this is another part of the mental health pandemic where you've got healthy units of the human whole who are reasoning themselves out of procreation Mm. now it's one thing to be biologically infertile but it's another thing to be ideologically infertile yeah you know that's incredible that i see people who have now there's two things that have given rise to this one is homogenization yeah so because of homogenization people have no respect for their lineage yeah you know but a school transfers authority and respect from the family home and the family line into the state and the state line yeah so people will say well there's so many babies being born that's fine it's like but they're not of your family line yeah. so if if you could see the tree of life yeah what does your branch look like? Yeah. And people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. They're all one in the same. We're all one, all the rest of it. Okay, that's fine. But your ancestors didn't believe that. Yeah. And if they did, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. And what I'm concerned about is the very people that I think should be breeding. Yeah. 
which are the ones who are bringing innovation and idea and new ways of relating and interacting, these are the very ones who've decided they're not going to. And they've, yeah, you know, they've been, yeah, because again, another maybe I don't know. I keep saying the word agenda, but you know, without supporting it, maybe as well as I could do. But yeah. people are. I, I see people talking openly about, oh, there's too many people. Yeah, I mean, when, when, I, I want to support you on agenda because, and, I, and I'll de- I'll define it by what I mean, which is so what I mean when I say there appears to be an agenda because I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's about. Saying, oh, they, yeah, they write about what, it. A lot of these people. Well, this is the point. The thing is, why is something which, when you look at the figures? is a fringe position, really fringe. Why is it being given so much central airtime, yeah. central time? And why is it being allowed to take over and centralise itself right the way through social structure, right the way into schooling so quickly? So I'm referring there. So, for example, so you've got this where, um, you know, people have been, been told this yeah. at a young age. While they are uh, at school, generally in a city. Yeah. And so as they're walking about the city, they're like, oh, look at there's too many people. Yeah. Look at I didn't get a seat on the tube yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get a seat on the tube. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's too many people. It's too stressful. Oh, I, couldn't, I, I was queuing in the yeah, bar yeah. and all the rest of it. And, oh, you know, look at the food. Look at all the food waste and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, actually, the cities are the problem, yeah. not population. Yeah. And it, because the cities make no use of the land that they're on yeah. and they draw huge resource from the land that surround them without adding back to it. Yeah. So really, cities are like an unsustainable party by people that don't want to accept the fact that they're earthlings. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it really is. It's yeah. like some kind of fantasy world. People talk about getting into the real world and the city. That is not the real world. Okay? The real world makes people well. Yeah. Okay? The real world is the one that you that people visit yeah. from the unreal world. Yeah. So people talk about visiting nature because they're not oh, even we were talking about that last yeah. time, yeah. To me, that's the root. There's the root of mental illness there. Yeah. We are earthlings that are completely disconnected from habitat. Yeah. That, to the point that Another little quirk of our mental disconnection is in the language of people referring to indigenous people without referring to themselves. Yeah. So it's like, well, if you if you're referring to indigenous people without referring to yourself, then what exactly are you? Yeah. And when just to get people to not rush over that and cl- call it off as a semantic point, it's not a semantic point. It's trying to get you to see a part of your mind that you can't normally see, yeah. which is it is disconnected from its environment. And to even talk about visiting nature, if you mentioned that to an indigenous or native person, they'd laugh in your face. Yeah, you know, it's like asking a fish if it visits water. <laughs> Excuse me, fish, do you visit water? What? You know? <laughs> but this is the case. This is the position that we're in. So the cities are where the problem is, and you've got these people that are being indoctrinated into the cities. Without, I remember um, my cousin. So my cousin came to visit me. He was a Londoner. Yeah. Came to visit me in Scotland uh, when, when he was a teenager. He was 17 or 18. Took him, took him to some caves, you know, and we did a bit of hill walking. And he was crying. He was crying because he'd never experienced total blackness in the yeah. cave. And they, it was amazing. We were on a hill and they were like, what's that? What's that? And what they were actually looking at was a rain cloud in the distance pouring rain on the ground at a distance. But yeah. they've never seen it because they have no horizon. Yeah. They have no sky. Yeah. Their sky has been stolen by buildings, you yeah. know, and, and you know, humans aren't allowed to, to fight for the right to light. Yeah. Companies companies can compete for and, and take legislation and take take legal action for the right to light on their buildings if another skyscraper is built. Wow. But humans aren't allowed to, to take action for having their sky stolen from them by all these corporate interests. But basically, so these cities are these horribly inhumane environments that people think are great because I can do everything in a city. You know, I can go to the cinema, I can go and have coffee, I can do whatever. And it's like, well, none of that's real. Yeah. It's just all entertainment. That's all just, you know, filling in the blanks between your work. Yeah. You know, what you add, what you add into the environment, what's your craft? You know, people just don't even have answers to these things anymore. But the point being, if you then get in a car and drive around the fields and drive around the countryside, you'd be like, where are the people? 
Yeah. Drive around the world. Drive. Go drive around the world. Drive. And you will see huge amounts of vast open spaces on this land, this tiny island that we say is so overpopulated. You go out there, you show me how much overpopulation there is in the countryside. All of it is in the cities. None of it is in the countryside. Right. So this is a logical fallacy that's being used to trick these people, supposedly intellectual, supposedly reasoning, supposedly capable, capably thinking people are tricking themselves into... Ending their family line. Yeah. I mean, it's like, really? Yeah. What, so, like, are you the cherry of your lineage? Yeah. All right, if you are, but wow, that's a bold claim. You know, it's a bold it's a bold position to take on. And for me, what's interesting is, you know, again, that language of agenda, if you look at the ones that are enjoying power and unlimited yeah. resources at the minute, none of them are restricting their breeding. Yeah. None of them are worrying about overpopulation unless it's for the media. Yeah. But they're not applying it to their own family line because they want their branches of the tree of life to be strong as they always have been. But they want yours to be like a spindly pine. Yeah. Because, they, you yeah, know... And they're not, they're not worrying about driving a car or eating meat. No, they, they don't... These are people that are not... They're not even thinking about the, the, the card when they're shopping. They just buy what they want. Yeah. But the point being... In that position of freedom, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Because it is natural, biologically natural and satisfying and in ways that cannot be reasoned beforehand for procreation to take place. Yeah. You know, that's it. It's the completion of the circle of life. It's the thing that keeps the species going. And when you choose not to, you're effectively ending the species. It's like, all right, yeah, all you're saying the species won't end because other people are going to breed. That's all right for you to... That's a bit of pressure to put on others, fair enough. But then we've also got to look at quality. Yeah. And my concern is that these very people, the ones that are choosing to become what I call line terminators, either with their sexual choices or with their ideological choices, these are they're line terminating the intelligentsia, yeah. basically. So what we're going to be left with is um, a lesser educated workforce who are... Well, you're just sort of describing the agenda. Well, the agenda, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the agenda is what you're going to end up with. There's a lot of robot, robot repair technicians, yeah. a lot of robots doing the in-between stuff, and uh, a lot of people enjoying the fruits creaming off the top. Yeah. Yeah. So, Quite possibly. Yeah. It does look that way. I mean, I'd like to say it doesn't, but it does. It does. It just does look that way. Just about how you know, but by having children, you're just bringing love into the world. And what better way to change the world than bring more love in, into yeah, yeah, yeah. it and uh, and raise the children in love? Well, because people. And one of the arguments is that oh, look at this bad world we're bringing the kids into. But actually, we're being told that you know. Yeah. And what better way to directly changing that is exactly. by is by bringing more love exactly. into the world that you're creating yourself. Yeah. I suddenly I suddenly realized when I had children because I didn't want children. I had come to that ideological conclusion. I yeah. was one of the ones that had made myself ideologically infertile for the species because I was like why would I want to bring a child into this world? Yeah. It's great. I'm going to try and change it first yeah. and then throwing myself against the membrane of the world going oh my goodness why would anybody want to do that for themselves? <laughs> but then Life decided it had a different plan for me. Yeah. I was blessed with uh, children, and it is a blessing. I think so many people are cocky, like, you know, I see so many people quote the Bill Hicks sketch where he talks about the miracle. Oh, yeah. And it's like the trailer trash women going, oh, oh, look, another miracle. <laughs> thunk. Oh, look, another miracle. Thunk. And I know he's taking the mick out of um, irresponsible procreation, but it's interesting how life is in charge of that, not yeah. us. Yeah. And what it seems to be is some people seem to, their life is focused in creating new life and then yeah. that becomes a life focus and others it's not and so well, what's wrong with life having a balance like that who are we to judge her for having six children because those 10 contribute you know because i've seen people slagging off saying well these ones who are having lots of children tend not to contribute to society yeah. as much and the ones that are contributing to society aren't really having children yeah. as much and it's like 
yeah, but who are you to decide that that's the, how it's balanced? Yeah, yeah. Who, are, you the, are you the measuring stick? Because to me, that's the where the mystery comes in. We've so denigrated mystery and wonder. It's such a sad world for children to grow because up in. Because we trying to measure wonder. everything. Well, and because of saying that we know how everything works when we don't. Yeah. You know, that's the, you know, the arrogance of that is just staggering. But the point being is we still, just because we can make it happen in a test tube, we still don't know how life starts. Yeah. We can, we can make observations. I mean, this is where science, the arrogance of science rests on one logical fallacy. All of science's arrogance, the whole thing, all of atheism, all of science's arrogance rests on one thing, and it is the confusion of how with what. Yeah. So when we say how something, a scientist will tell you what. So they'll say, what is happening? Yeah. Here are my observations. How do the clouds form? Ah, well, the water evaporates and goes up into mm. the sky and then forms clouds. That's what is happening. Yeah. That's not how. And whenever you uh, tell okay, me yeah. and your analysis and your observation, even if it's down to the level of electrons, you're still just telling me what is happening. Yeah. You have never once in any piece of scientific methodology that I've ever seen explained how anything. Right. And that's the magic of the world. That's interesting. That's the divine. That's the unknown. That's the mystery. So I had children and it really did change everything. Now, I know people say that. It sounds a cliche, but it's a bit like swimming or sex. You know, you can't explain sex to somebody that's not have it. Have yeah. It. You know, you can say what you like. It doesn't matter until you've had it, until you've yeah. experienced it. It's like swimming. Yeah. You can read all the swimming theory books under the sun. It makes no difference until you you have that sensation of immersion. Yeah. Like, oh, what's this? You know, yeah. all you have to do is look at a child, a baby's face first thing, you put them in water. And, yeah. oh, what's that? You yeah. know, that wonder. You don't you know, you know, you don't know anything. And it's the same happens. So there are, there are irrational and what I mean by ration, irrational is that, that we can't pin down what they are. Yeah. So there's irrational um, buttons or, or things that change biologically when children arrive. And uh, it, it doesn't work for everybody. Not everybody adapts. Some people some people can't deal with the change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they're, they're not able to, to switch mode. But for- uh, isn't that, you just reminded me there, isn't that part of this change in society? Because it used to be easier. Yeah. It used to be, you know, we have more support, a couple together, yeah. just one of them can work. But it's also the judgment and the viewing of children as a burden yeah. has increased and yeah. increased and increased. They're seeing it as something, you know, where we want to keep children away. Or I mean, don't get me wrong, I think that's changing now. There's more integration of children. But certainly, as a culture here in the UK, yeah. I mean, my partner's Czech, when we go to visit the Czech Republic, they are far more connected with their past, where they're much more grounded and practical, but they're much more welcoming of children. Yeah. They're much more inclusive of children yeah. compared to this ever-increasingly cold and judgmental west yeah. that kind of yeah don't make having, a noise all that kind of stuff yeah yeah and less and less less and less spaces that you can bring children to are people viewing or judging the breeders yeah or the ones that have family and it's like wow do you even hear the, <laughs> the way that you're talking there yeah um but that that change has been growing in me uh, in terms of my anger and outrage at how lied to i was yeah. by all these people that that tried to paint out that the burden and the sacrifice and what you have to give up somehow wasn't worth the price of yeah. what you would learn and how you would be humbled yeah. and how you would be knocked off your pedestal of thinking that you are the, the be-all and the, and the end-all, which is certainly where I was at. And I see it in. I see it in people who are filled with their spiritual narcissism and filled with their change agency who have decided not to have children because they think they're it. And, and also there's a change in our the arc of our lives because we have these phases 
And by not having children, that's the, almost like the point when you become an adult. And it's very yeah. easy to be stuck in a kind of delayed yeah. uh, adolescence or and extended adolescence. Yeah, yeah. We've seen there was the 30s and the new 20s. Now they're in the 40s of the new 20s. Yeah. And what you're seeing is you're seeing that people in their 30s and 40s are now doing what traditionally people only in their 20s would do. Yeah. And that is they're still going out and partying. They're still going out and drinking and taking drugs and looking forward to the Friday night. And they're living that cycle. And today, the new sort of success measure in life is to be single and jet set. So you'll see it all over social media. The feed promise is be a jet setter like me. Travel and work from your laptop, all that sort of thing. But none of that is about the cohesion of a community. None of that is about the reality of what's required to keep a community going, which is the work in the soil and the maintenance of structures and the maintenance of tools, you know, all of that's been distributed to the poor people in the poor countries so that we don't have to think about any of that stuff and you can just be, yeah, I'm the new it person on my laptop. I've made it because I can, I was in Bali last week and now I'm in wherever and I'm charging five grand for two hours and hey, be like me. But but that's part of the disconnection we have within us and, uh, you know, once you start disconnected from your your community around you, then surely that's one of the issues in mental health in this pandemic. Yeah, it is, but the problem is with this amount of with the amount of money and the 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 desire based satisfaction of medication that's available, people can kid themselves on for a very long time, and then by the time they realise it's too late. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, here I am, fifty. Oh my goodness, I was lied to. What I'm going to do? I can't now. My body can't do it. Yeah, can't uh, do it. It's uh... just, it's a. I mean, the scale of which I felt conned. I mean, I really can't quite get across to you. Yeah, because I was outrageously lied to culturally. I feel by people painting the picture of um, the imposition of family yeah. rather than the reference that it affords, the anchoring, the 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 kind of, the, the real realisation of interdependence. Yeah. But the other thing that hit me as an activist and as a change agent, I suddenly realised that there was me you know, I had to deal with a bit of a messiah complex, which was a bit like, oh, I was thinking I was going to bring all this change. Yeah. Okay, what I've realised is, I, you know, and I have been, you know, I've worked at Parliament, I've worked in large organisations, I've, 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 you know, been involved in big court cases and all sorts of movements, stuff like that. And what I found is the membrane of the world pushes back quite hard. Yeah. And that there was me, a, a, a naive individual, not realising the ecosystem of organisation that's been set up for hundreds of years to push back well yeah and i was yeah. not well prepared for that and i think the cockiness and the arrogance i see in the change movement isn't respectful and uh what you know that was my experience i backed away from it i had family I yeah. wasn't, i've was i not re- yet got back into the activism scene yet but suddenly what i realized is as i'm, I'm working with my children trying to share what i've learned with them is uh, i've realized that this is the real long game yeah this is the game that you want to change the world you want it, you got to play for the long haul. If yeah. you've only got chips in for one round, pff, all right, you're a fart bubble. I hope you do well. Good yeah. luck. Don't you know? Good luck. But if you look at the ones who seem to be f- furthering an agenda these days, yeah. they're all families. Yeah, you can name the families. Yeah, people name the families. They're dynasties. Yeah, and it's because they're following a plan that was multi generational. Yeah, a multi generational. The long haul, recognizing the wisdom of what it is to try to bring change to the world because it is arrogance that says hey it's me i'm here everybody world change the thing is the problem we've got is that young kids are being given exactly that message they've been told that subjective fantasy you've got you can be that you can be the superstar you can be the president of america you can be a filipino woman even if you're born a white man you can be whatever you want to be Hmm. now the problem with that is that is the seed of mental despair of incalculable measures Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Christy OG. 
can find links to his work uh, via the Mental Health Matters show page on the Phoenix FM website. I'll be posting it on there and also reminding you of how to get in touch with us if anything in that conversation brought up any reaction or things you wanted to uh, discuss. You can uh, get in touch on Twitter at MHM Podcast and Facebook, uh, Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. And also via Chris's website as well, or his Facebook page, if there's anything you wanted there to uh, debate with him perhaps, or you know discuss with him or talk about his work, he's uh, you know open to conversations as well. Uh, please get in touch and uh, share your feelings, and uh, we can you know develop these ideas and uh, uh, move forward with them hopefully. And so hopefully you have enjoyed this episode, episode three now of the Mental Health Matters podcast in this latest series. I'm Graham Stannard, and uh, hopefully the next episode shall be up very shortly uh, by the end of the month, and then uh, be back on track in the new year. In the meantime, have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, Thank you for listening, and uh, let's uh, move forward together and help each other out. going to leave you now with a beautiful song, uh, one that I always uh, turn to when maybe I'm not feeling so good. It's just a really beautiful voice. Uh, Love female vocals anyway, but this is so beautiful. Manish Damore, a song called Bliss from the Om Diksha album of 2007. Uh, Also uh, post a link to this song and album on the uh, show page so you can find it as well, should you wish.